For more than a decade, Jen Santos has led event technology at some of the world's largest companies. She brings the technology and team building best practices from over 20 plus years of IT consulting and coaching experiences to event delivery teams so they can deliver exceptional events. She is now teaching others to do the same in Event Tech Academy. Welcome to Eventus 365 the podcast that's all about corporate events and the magic behind the scenes. I'm your host, Yannick DaCosta, and I am excited to take you on a journey through the world of corporate events. But before we dive in, let's talk about the stress of creating marketing material for your events. We all know how tough it can be when deadlines are tight and resources are limited, but guess what? YKME Visual Communications has got your back. Our design firm specializes in working with corporate event professionals just like you, and we're here to help take the stress out of creating stunning graphics for your event. Our team of expert designers can deliver custom brand-compliant designs in just 12 hours. So whether you need branding, signage, marketing materials, or anything else, YKMD's got you covered. Okay, now that that's done, let's start the show. All right, Jen. Welcome. Thank you so much for your time. Jumping right into it. How did you get involved in the event tech industry? It was totally by accident. I was a 20-year IT pro managing different projects, different companies, primarily in the Pacific Northwest Seattle, which is where I used to live. And all of a sudden I got staffed on a Microsoft event. And it just so happened that that event at Microsoft was managing the marketing platform for their annual partner conference. And that went well. And they're like, hey, do you want to come work on the event? And I was like, okay, sure. And then somebody that was supposed to go work the event actually at the event in Houston that year had a bike accident. And they're like, hey, Jen, you want to actually go to Houston and help run it? And I'm like, okay. Sure. And then kind of like, one, sure. Right. One thing kind of led to the next. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm 10 years later and I'm still in the events industry. And I absolutely love it. Oh my gosh, that sounds like such a fun whirlwind story. So does this mean that you're like a Microsoft supplier now or is this different? I've been a Microsoft supplier. Um, I've been work- I worked on the Microsoft platform for like eight years and now I, yeah, subcontractor the entire time, but I've kind of diverged from Microsoft and I'm working on other projects like CES, Oracle, GitHub, Splunk. So, but all kind of in the tech event space. Nice. I love that. So wait, uh, you said CES. I have never been to CES and I feel like people are going to hear that and make fun of me. But tell me, like, talk to me, talk to me about CES. What is, what is, what are your biggest challenges in working with such a massive event? Yeah. Well, I've never been either, believe it or not. Oh, okay. um, So I, this last year, I managed the mobile app for them. And so I did it all from my home in Salvador, Brazil, um, which is fine because I'm not a big Las Vegas fan, which I think is kind of sacrilege in this industry, but whatever. And, but I'm I'm not either. It makes my skin so dry. I literally leave there like a lizard every single time. Anyway. Yeah. My pet peeve is walking through the casinos and just like ingesting the smoke. I'm just like, I just, Oh God, no, we love that. Don't know. We, we love, (laughs) love it. We love it. Especially when we have asthma. We're like, (sighs) yeah, exactly. So I think like 
the two big challenges that I see with CES, one is that it is just such a big event. You're dealing with over 100,000 in-person attendees. And so as an event tech pro, when you're dealing with over 100,000 attendees and you're dealing with thousands of exhibitors, you're dealing with a lot of data. And a lot of event platforms can struggle dealing with that quantity of data and getting it around in a timely manner. So, you know, because as you may know from events, your side of the events industry, right? The registration system is generally separate from the content platform, which is generally separate from the mobile app, which is generally separate from the exhibitor system. And so you have to be continually flowing all this data back and forth. Somebody goes in and they update their bio in registration and suddenly they expect it to appear automatically immediately in the mobile app, right? And But in reality, there's behind the scenes processes that need to run to keep all this happening. And to make that happen in a way that's fast and seamless to the attendee that doesn't like break everything is kind of a non-trivial exercise when you're talking about an event that big. I can only imagine. Uh, I, I was at an event, um, I want to say a year ago. And they were trying to like update documents so that we could make reference to because the event in itself was actually um, an organizational event where we were members and we would have to vote on things. But in order to vote on things, we would have to have the documents to review this, that, and the third. And they were like, the right documents are in there. We're all like, no, it's not. And they're like, yes, it is. And we're like, no, it's not. And it was probably, it was probably just taking a really, really nice little time to just, you know, load its way in there and get to everybody's phone and we probably had to like clear our cash and do 10,001 other little things to just get it to like function you can tell I'm not like super techie right because I'm like this is my this is my high level way of explaining it like mm, yeah and um it caused quite a bit of confusion because people were really frustrated that they were being told it's in there and they're like I don't I don't see it I don't I don't have it uh so yeah I can only imagine yeah. So do you feel like that's one of the biggest challenges you see with like event organizers or at least when they're trying to incorporate technology or is there something else that's like super massive where you're like the biggest challenge they have is this? Yeah, no, no, totally. I think the biggest challenge for event organizers and that we as event tech professionals and working in the events industry is that our event owner, our event organizer will go to another event. They're like, oh my God, I saw this super cool thing. And we went, we talked to the company and we're going to add this to our event now. And we're like, okay, oh, well, A, yeah. the event's in four weeks. And B, you know, like it doesn't work with the rest of our tech stack. We need to do an evaluation, particularly in corporate tech, doesn't meet all the regulatory things to even be included in our tech stack. You know, like, is it going to integrate seamlessly for the attendee? Can we do SSO or single sign-on so people don't have disparate logins? Like, all these different little questions Matter. that we need to have answered to make it a great experience. And the, the event owners, I mean, the, the event planners, they shouldn't have to know that. That's not their job. That's our job. But they fall in love with an idea, make an agreement with somebody, and then they come back and tell us. And we're like, okay, but that's going to be really crummy because what we have already. So. <laughs> so do you feel like in that moment then, like as an event tech professional, you are basically charged with trying to solve this problem and deliver on this idea and this concept, even though you weren't necessarily consulted about the ideation? 
Yes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And what we will often do in that scenario is like, okay, cool. So, you know, if it's something that we can easily, easily slip in, that's not a thing, but it's something we can do, we will do it, right? We'll do it. Right. Uh-huh. But then if it's like, okay, so we have like th- these three red flags, that means we can't. So what is the actual problem you're trying to solve? What is the experience you are attempting to provide for our attendees? You know, okay, well, we can't do it this way, but maybe we can get to something similar by doing X, Y, and Z. So how about we go down this path for this year? And then for next year, let's take a step back, you know, kind of add this into our tech roadmap and see how we can do it better next year to meet the objectives. And maybe it is with this tool because we can work through the obstacles, but maybe it's not. And maybe we can find a tool that still gets where, where you want to go but is going to be one that's going to be a better fit for the organization from an event, event tech stack standpoint. That was a lot of really hard words. <laughs> words, <laughs> words, words. Um, so what I heard, and, and I've said this before, which is funny because I don't know if I said it on my podcast or on someone else's podcast. And this is what happened when you talk too much. Um, the process sounds like a matter of communicating with your team on a regular basis, not necessarily just with your printers, but like communicate, having transparent conversations with your vendors and like really allowing them to showcase the subject matter expertise that they, that you hired them for so that you don't incur the 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 massive road bumps that could completely derail what's happening so my favorite part when you were talking about um identifying the problem like what's the problem that you're trying to solve and like what's the experience that you're trying to create for the attendees because that like that frame of mind that thinking is look at me with my pen in my hand that that frame of mind is essentially what I believe has always made the best working relationships, not just in like events, but just like in any environment, like what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the experience you're trying to create? And that kind of allows everybody to solve for the same problem within their box, right? And then you kind of put these things together so that you can all move forward in one like really great direction and accomplish this goal like oh my gosh we did this thing because we all did it together how awesome uh so i appreciate that can you share some examples of technology that's kind of helped to elevate an event experience yeah so it's funny um when i always think of like how does how can event tech elevate an experience right and i'm like to me I think event tech is at its best when you don't even really notice it, Mm. right? Like if you could just make it work seamlessly and it's not an impediment, it is doing its job. So for example, if you can have a check-in area that can be touchless, right? Because you can just kind of show up and you have your QR code and you just click one button to confirm, yes, is who I am. Maybe you hand over your ID. Hopefully you hand over your ID to somebody, right? And then they print out your badge and off you go. You sign in once, all the different tools work. It doesn't matter how many pieces of technology that we put together behind the scenes. It Mm -hmm. all just works. You know, if you can do, and this is kind of gets into the whole privacy GDPR area, but which is kind of like, 
where we're heading next in terms of like event tech challenges. But if you can do a really nice, strong recommendation engine using AI to recommend attendees, recommend sessions, recommend exhibitors, again, that's all sitting there in the background, but it's doing so much to make an attendee experience better. And then um, what, and then like just at a super tactical, like nuts and bolts level for particularly for an event organizer, imagine put yourself back in the world of in-person if you can remember those days. <laughs> and we would have like workshop spaces, like a lab space, right? And you've got 25 computers. Well, if you open up a session for 25 seats um, in a lab space, you're gonna have 15 of those people that are gonna add that session to their schedule and they are never gonna show up, right? Because they're gonna go and do something yeah. else. And so like one of the things that we do from a tech perspective is we're like, okay, hey, we know all 25 won't show up, but let's try to get them there. Let's not let them put something else in that same time slot. We can't control what they actually do, but we can add the tooling in to try to be like, hey, we're saving a seat for you. Are you really going to be there and provide those prompts? Send mm -hmm. out the email reminders, not let them double book themselves. And then actually also allow the event organizer to say, I've got 25 seats, but I'm actually going to allow 40 people to book because I know that people aren't going to show up. Mm -hmm. you know, and then like work yeah. with the on-site team to create queuing and things like that. Like that's some of the ways that I bet tech can really help, you know, elevate the event experience. I love that. As you were like, as we're on the topic of like elevating the event experience. So I, this revolves the other day, we worked on some stuff. When I say we, I mean, my design firm, we worked on some stuff, um, some collateral oriented things for the Super Bowl. And I'm horrible because I didn't really watch, but there was one thing that really stood out to me um, was, oh no, that's not true. I watched the halftime show, but I watched it the day after because uh -huh. I watched this. Um, well, a massive thing that stood out for me was uh, Rihanna's sign language interpreter, interpreter, inter yep, words, um, interpreter. And so her name's uh, Justine Miles, right? And the way how they included her like individuals like for us people who are watching at home like it was really exciting right like the show was about rihanna but it was just like who is this girl like who is this girl participating so it was nice to kind of be able to have that experience and then for me like there was like some further emphasis word that i picked up i was like okay she's also black and she is also deaf, which I found, I, I saw like, you know, like how they, they have the monitors in their ears. So I thought it was a monitor at first, but so she's, she's also, she's black and she's deaf. She's a woman clearly with the sheep. Um, and I feel like that's like a interesting point to kind of put on. Cause it's like, how do you see diversity, equity, and inclusion incorporate into event technology? And like, what steps can event organizers take to create more inclusive events? Cause for me, like, that was, I think that was a big deal for the Super Bowl. That not, not Rihanna so much. I mean, sure, you know, she came out of hibernation for the performance, got it. But like the, the thing that I noticed was the interpreter. I mean, outside of the fact she did like a yeah. really great job, you know, it wasn't, it, it didn't feel random. It felt intentional. It felt really nicely incorporated. So what are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned her because we just wrapped up. I'm down here in Salvador, Brazil, and we just wrapped up our carnival. And actually, one of the things, <laughs> and one of the things that um they started doing down here recently, a couple of the key performers, because they're basically like 
big parades and the artists sit yeah. on these giant moving sound stages, right? Mm -hmm. And so a couple of the performers have ASL, not ASL, would it be Brazilian SL? Anyway, <laughs> Brazilian sign language. This is something that kind of blew my mind when I realized, me and my American-centric view, that mm -hmm. ASL is not universal, right? Like, And we appreciate you there. Yep, that's, yep, that's right. Safe. So Brazilian sign language, but they, they were signing, uh -huh. you know, all the music along with these artists. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so freaking cool. My, um, so I, my cousin, she's deaf. So when I was younger, I'm horrible now, but like when I was younger, I, I used to study sign language so that we could talk and we'd practice and stuff like that. And the American Sign Language book and the English Sign Language book, I don't know. Like, I don't understand why they're not the same. It blows my mind. Trust me. It, really? It they're not mind. the same? No, they're not. Like, American. So some, of the, some of the signs that I would make from the ASL book, she didn't know what I was talking about. And so I would have to spell out the word and then she'd be like, oh, and anyway. Oh, wow. Okay. So, anyway, you know, there's some nuances there. Yeah. <laughs> there nuances. So I think that slowly it's starting to get better in the event industry in general. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll get to the event tech side of this in a minute, but this is like something that I happen to be pretty passionate about. So I'm just going to kind of get on my soapbox very briefly. And that's fine. Um, but I think that um, I will say that I think from an event tech pers perspective, the DEI came a really long way during the pandemic, right? Like we went totally online, totally virtual. And so all these digital platforms had to up their game. And so I was at Microsoft at the time and um, working on their flagship events. And I mean, they've done a really, they did a really nice job. And I see other platforms doing the same, right? Like captioning in 26 different languages. Um, and AI captioning is getting a whole lot better. Even the AI version of captioning is getting a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. We had ASL, ASL specifically, you know, mm -hmm. on some of the key sessions, not all sessions, but more and more sessions are having ASL. Providing the transcript files ahead of time, being really, really aware of, um, like neurodivergent, neurodivergent audiences and what tends to create issues for people, you know, things about motion graphics and things like that and accessibility and color contrast ratios and all those sorts of things. And then when you take a step back and you look just more at diversity in general, moving outside the accessible realm, I think one of the first things to do is let's look at the diversity of speakers, right? Mm -hmm. And let's make sure that not only that they're more diverse, but that they have good time slots. You know, they're not the last time slot on the last day, the first time slot the morning after the the the, 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 the big um, party. Part the big party, party with the unlimited booze. <laughs> exactly that. So um actively seek out diversity in our supplier pool. Uh, I remember oh when my I was gosh. You know, that's my soapbox. Okay. That's mm -hmm. that's 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 my soapbox. I mean Yeah. I yeah, I'll I'll let you continue. <laughs> yeah, no, I really high. When I was early in my event career, I remember working with a woman, her name is Heather, and she would always, every year, she ran registration, but every year she would go and she would pick somebody, a small supplier to like do one small little part of the registration experience or some small part of the tooling. And I thought that that was so cool that she was going and picking out these, you know, small suppliers that wouldn't otherwise necessarily have a chance to work with a Microsoft. They could put that on their resume. And I thought that was absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and then with that, I think it's also, let's train our staff and our crew. Let's put them through some DEI training, 
right? Like I have worked on events that have been inclusion events specifically. And I have heard stories about the staff and the crew that were not up to speed on some of these sorts of things. And then the people that were speaking at these events, participating in these events had not great experiences, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and so particularly um, when it came to like uh, gender identity and those sorts of things, a lot of mispronouns and things like that. Um, I think you could also, again, not up from the event tech standpoint, but how about we provide some discounts to certain audiences, right? For both attendees oh, and for to, pro to provide access to knowledge, right? Oh my gosh. So, all right, I'm 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 sorry, I'm back on the soapbox. So there's um okay, so I, I'm uh president of this thing called the Graphic Artists Guild, and it's a trade association for graphic designers. And since like I became a member, which is like maybe 2014, 2015, I really, I promise I'm going to actually get the real date for somebody someday. But my biggest thing was for a long time, I felt like I was the only voice for black people in the graphic arts industry. Cause I mean, the graphic, like the graphic arts guild is a leader in the industry, right? Like we have a lot of influence and that kind of, it felt like a lot of pressure, but it also bothered me that there were so many other designers that were better than me. And that, that and that's just the fact matter. There's, it's just matter of fact. They're better than me, but they don't understand how to run a business because they don't have access to the resources or information that tells them how to do that because they don't know it exists because that's not like, they're not within that social sphere of people who talk about that regularly. And so I've always just been like trying to like push us towards like, going into those communities and like having those conversations like you know sponsoring um conferences that focused on like a BIPOC audience and kind of just be like hey we're here like we want you to come too like this is not just for one set of people who look one set of way and talk one set of way and mm -hmm. are from one set of like one place uh and it kind of I think it's even more oh my gosh am I I think I was about to cry it's so sad um, I felt myself getting teary-eyed. Um, I think it's even like more, it's even more of a thing for me because where I, so I live in Jamaica right now, but it's where I was born and raised and where I'm from, being an artist, being a graphic designer, isn't some revered, uh, career you're going to starve and be homeless and, you know, not have a good standard of living. And I mean, I know that I'm living proof that that doesn't have to be like the case. Right. But I also had access to information. I was willing to like push through boundaries. Like I had a really supportive environment of people who could say you could do anything. And it kind of comes back to exactly what you said. Like people don't know what they don't know. And if they don't have access to it, sometimes they will continue not to know because they don't even know it's an option. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like deciding you were going to, you know, drive to the supermarket. You only know the supermarket downtown. And then all of a sudden, like, there's a Whole Foods on your left. And you're like, wait, where did that come from? I, yeah. I don't know if they're open. So I'm just going to keep driving, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's kind of where that diversity, the diversity speakers comes in, right? If you don't know it's possible, if you've never seen a black, a black woman up on the keynote stage, you don't realize that that's someplace that a black woman can be, right? Yeah. yeah. So... And then talking about um, investing in education and providing access to education, I will. Um, I think that's where also continuing to invest in virtual events 
and making them really accessible, if not free, is super, super important. Mm -hmm. um, you, know, you live in Jamaica, I live in Brazil, plane tickets are not cheap, even for <laughs> us, you know, even for us. But I remember my first virtual event um, right after the pandemic started. And I was reading the evaluations afterwards because I always read them looking for nuggets of things that we can do better on the next event. And this woman was, thank you so much for providing this technical training to us for free. You know, I am in a wheelchair. I'm unable to, you know, get to these events as much as I would really love to. And because of this information that you made available to us for free today, I'm able to double my rates. I love that. Right. Like, oh. how can you not? Now I'm the one that's getting teary, right? It's like, man, it's, it's so that. important that we continue to make these investments in the virtual events for so many different reasons. Uh, I was having a conversation with another interviewee and we were talking about her photographer that she had to um, bring in. And the photographer is in a, she's not in a wheelchair. She is in a, it's like an electric almost like scooter wheelchair kind of thing so it's, it's it's a little bulkier and so she had to like arrange transportation for her like the right flights and you know the right transportation from the airport and things to and from the actual venue and apparently it was like really chaotic like to the point where like the lady was outside sitting like waiting in the rain because the the the, the city didn't have the right transportation for her like it was like a whole like thing and it, and, wow. it, and it, it's crazy to me that in 2023 like we're still having those kinds of conversations it's like but you know what if we don't talk about it just like how people don't have access to the information to improve their scholastic and um, uh, career endeavors it's the same thing that the people who are in charge they can only see things from their lens and if they're not being given the information from people outside themselves they won't know which is essentially why I like this whole like this whole season why I'm choosing to incorporate these kinds of conversations because I recognized how important it would be for me to want to feel comfortable when I show up in a space and I kind of want to invite others to challenge themselves to create that same kind of inclusive environment for every human being not just you know people like me or people that look like me or people that look like them so right gosh very emotional talk today <laughs> uh switching gears from our emotions a bit uh how do you think event tech will evolve in the next five to ten years yeah so um you know, I've been getting asked this a lot lately and I love kind of like, you know, thinking about, oh, what could be? It's kind of like I combine like what I really think is going to happen with what I really hope will happen and hope that I could just kind of manifest that and make that a reality. So I think that, you know, we've seen a lot of, well, in the event tech side of the space, we've seen a lot of consolidation. I think that's going to continue as we kind of try to figure things out, particularly coming out of the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of these virtual platforms that made so much progress during the pandemic got so much investment are having these layoffs. And so we're seeing kind of a lot of struggle there. We're seeing, you know, mm -hmm. CBEDs doing a lot of consolidation, buying up a lot of players because of some of these other companies. But I think that we're going to see two broad trends kind of in the next five to 10 years. One is that I really truly believe and hope that we continue investing in hybrid and virtual. We do not do it very well yet right now. I know this. <laughs> I'm not saying that we do, but I think that companies are going to continue to make 
the investment to try to figure it out, kind of for all the reasons that we've already talked about. Um, you know, right now it's basically two separate events and there's a huge budget hit. And that's something that we can't continue to deal with anymore. Yeah. Um, but if you do all in person or all hybrid virtual, you're just cutting your available audience so much that I think event organizers are also not going to tolerate that long term. Yeah. And related to that is the other broad trend that I'm seeing around sustainability. And so, you know, this whole thing, events are, you know, one of the worst offenders when it comes to waste and carbon. Oh right? my goodness. Woo. Let's not talk about what happens at the end of the night when people don't eat the food. <laughs> no, no, let's really not. You know, and I know that there's like initiatives are starting around these things right now. We can donate some of it. We can only realistically donate so much, yeah. right? When you show up with eight tons of food, I'm probably exaggerating the volume, but to a shelter or to an organization, it all has to be eaten really, really quickly or it goes bad. I mean, that's yeah, just the like reality. Where are they going to store it? Yeah. Right? Where are they going to store it? You know, and then you start thinking about the carbon footprint of flying around all your crew and all your staff and shipping, you know, exhibitor cartons after exhibitor carton after exhibitor carton. Mm -hmm. And the attendees all flying around. That carbon footprint is really, really big. And so I think there's going to be a reckoning. And I think that that's where event tech is going to have an opportunity to really shine in terms of helping events kind of right size and become more sustainable. I don't quite know what that looks like. You know, like the conversation has been, maybe we need to have like, you know, regional pop-up events, like road shows, right? Mm -hmm. You know, which will attract a smaller audience. And then we kind of carry people through with hybrid events. Let's put the core training, like the, mm -hmm. the actual training training in a high, in a virtual scenario, and then leave the in-person events for, the networking and those sorts of things, the experiential types of things. Like there's a lot of different ways that we can do this that we haven't explored yet. So yeah. I think that's going to be the big thing. And then I think that data is a whole other kind of like sticky wicket that we're going to have to deal with as we manage GDPR and privacy laws and everything else. The push pull of that against the idea of having really personalized experiences because mm -hmm. you can't protect all your data and have and, an awesome yeah. AI person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, as you said that, I kind of just chuckled because the other day I was in a plane and I sat down and I promise you, I, I'm clearly ridiculous because when I sat down in my seat and the, the, the screen said, hello, Yannick, how are you? What would you like to watch today? I was like, what the, what is, what the, what is happening here? But it had already, so you know, so you know how sometimes you go on a plane and you watch a movie and um, the, the movie itself is like, you don't get to finish it before you get off the plane. It mm -hmm. had it right there for me to play. I was like, what is happening? Ooh. I was like, this is awesome. So typically I normally take out my phone and take a picture of it so that I can fast forward to the same place that I was when I was watching. Oh, wow. Like, um, so it's nice to like not have to do that anymore. But you're right. Um, it's hard to 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 keep your data to yourself and have a great user experience. Um, that's personalized mm -hmm. for your likes, dislikes, um, and all of that. So I think that's a great place to transition to sharing some tips on how to successfully manage like event tech projects. Can you share some of those? 
Yeah. So you kind of alluded to this kind of like my big, if I had to pick like the big takeaway, you sort of alluded to it at the beginning, which is this idea, like I've been telling my teams for the past decade, we all succeed or we fail as a team. Our mm -hmm. attendees don't care whose fault it is. <laughs> Our clients oh, only care sort of whose fault it is. And so if you could kind of go into this mentality, into the event with this mentality of really working as a team, because you're never going to be the expert in everything. It is not possible. Your mm -hmm. owner's not going to be the expert. Your client's not going to be the expert. The solution architect's not going to be the expert. You need to all work together to make the event happen. Um, and then with that, there's like kind of a couple of very specific things I would tell um, people trying to manage event tech, people managing, not trying to, managing event tech projects to do. First is just do really good discovery. Keep in mind what they talk about, like the five W's of investigative journalism, right? Because it applies here as well. Who, what, when, where, why, and then the how. The how is how we're actually coding and getting it done, right? But if you can get that really good discovery done and asking all those really specific questions up front, you're going to make your life a way the heck easier when it gets closer to the event by knowing exactly what you're building. You're all trying to drive in the same direction. Um, and so like, that'd be the first one is just don't be afraid to do that discovery. Ask the silly questions. This might be a silly question, but... Or, you know, like don't not afraid. knowing at all. Exactly. Right. Just that curiosity mindset. And don't be afraid to like, literally, I can't even tell you how many times in a week I started the question with this might be a silly question, but and everybody goes, oh. <laughs> wait, why does no one knows the answer? So it can't be that silly. <laughs> right. So, but that's a way to kind of ask it without like putting anybody on the spot. And then also if like everybody already knows the answer, you're like, I was right. Silly question, right? There's like no emotion involved in it anymore. I love using that kind of as a way to raise a question. So, um, and then also the other thing kind of related to that is we have a running joke. Scope is not locked till the event is over. I'm sure you see this as well, right? It's true. It's totally true. As, <laughs> as you, as you were talking earlier about, um, you know, someone bringing in some technology that they want to incorporate, I was like, oh, scope creep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, totally. So just being really good about managing scope. I mean, like it just in figuring out really good ways to manage scope. No, yes, yes, we can do that. But here's the trade-off. Yes, we can do that. But then we're going to need this budget. We can push the date, right? We, the classic project yeah. management triple constraint comes into play. Yeah. Um, and then the last one I would say is develop some boundaries and some good self-care practices. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's important. It is important to somebody who has burned herself out doing this before. It is really important to know when you should take an 8 p.m. call and when you should just say, I'm sorry, I'm not available. Listen, it's it's so fun. Oh, I uh, when I was actually in corporate working on events, the days were brutal. OK, mm -hmm. and um. Sometimes boundaries can be so much harder to enforce when you are actually in the corporation than when you are a contractor. But yeah. uh, man, sometimes those would be like 15 hour days and then you have to wake up in the morning and, and have the, and then you don't have to actually look cute when you get there, like cute, but practical. So you have to have these cute shoes, but like they, they can't be heels. So they have to be flat and then makeup still done and the hair is brushed together. And then you have to have a pleasant disposition because you're not going to interact with a bunch of people who are probably equally frustrated about something that is beyond your control. And they have like all the questions about, and you're like, I just do the graphics. At least that's that's me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, 
thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Do you um do you think it's important for event organizers to understand the technical side of event tech? Or do you feel like it's more it's more about them just sharing the information about what's happening and then trusting you to make the decisions? Because just like you know, you said they, they come and they bring these ideas and they think they're great and they want to execute. Do you think that that challenge would be reduced if um event professionals overall were just more educated on the different silos like event tech? In a, in a perfect world, absolutely. But this is far from a perfect world. And so yeah. I think, yeah, I think the answer is no, because an event planner has so many other things to worry about, right? It's a big cat herding exercise. And so let's let them worry about them, but then have them treat us, treat the event tech people as a, as a partner. Let the tech team have a seat at the table where the decisions get made. And so we can partner and help figure out what the right solution is for the event. I love that. Um, can you share like a, su a success story of like how your team has used event tech to solve like a specific challenge or to improve an overall event experience? I think yeah, um, here. What? I think that'll be kind of cool to hear, like in the context of this entire conversation, like a time where you were just like, oh, we knocked it out of the park. Right. Um, so I think one of my favorite one of the, my favorite things that we ever did. So this is backing up pre-pandemic for AI, really kind of got his legs. So to kind of set the stage for where we were in the technical lifespan, is we we're working on an attendee networking, an attendee recommendation specifically. And attendee recommendations have always been somewhat of a challenge from a technical standpoint when you don't have a really nice big AI data set, because if you try to match on like job title or company name or something like that, you're just matching like for like. And that's not the idea, right? Like you want to try to match people that have divergent interests, because if you think about match.com or something like that, right, like a dating site, they talk about this is who I am. This is who I'm interested in meeting with. Mm -hmm. or who I'm interested in dating, right? And so it's the mm -hmm. same thing. It's we build as a part of the platform, like this is my profile for who I am. And these are the types of people that I'm interested in meeting with. And then we're able to actually create a pairing algorithm to pair up the people so they could actually meet the right people at our events. Yeah, okay, I love that. Instead of just like a carbon copy of themselves. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, in there are lots of instances where that's just not helpful for anyone attending no. the event. Okay, awesome. So, I love that. I probably shouldn't love it as much as I do, because you know it was compared to dating, and my dating life is you know a little interesting, a little non-existent. But I still like the concept. Uh, so, what are some of the most exciting trends you're seeing right now? Yeah, so, uh, totally. So um, I think we've already sort of talked about this, but I'm really excited about the increase in accessibility. You know, how far the platforms have come with regards to, you know, the color contrast and making text legible and making stuff work really well. You zoom in and captions and transcripts and ASL and not just the quantity of it, but also like the quality of it, the AI transcripts has gotten so much better and that we've been able to make these event platforms so much more accessible to so many more people. 
totally, totally boring in so many ways. But for me, I am really, really excited about that. Um, and then I'm excited to see people working on AI and making the AI's power services really, really powerful. I think we are still very much struggling with dealing with all the data privacy issues that you and I talked about. But I think that just watching the work happen, I think is really exciting to think about where we could be, you know, a few years from now. I love that. Thank you. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not anti-AI. I feel like uh, AI is just like another machine, you know, like the lawnmower. It's, it's, it's not there to replace you. It's definitely there to help you and to, to create a better experience. And um, I think, it's just about us as human beings trying to figure out how to use it to help us like a car yeah. or like a bicycle, whatever it is. Um, yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is interested in pursuing a career in event tech? Um, well, since I'm in event tech and I love it, I'd have to say, go for it. But <laughs> I would also, but I would also say, as you and I have talked about, you know, this is a fast paced industry that tends to burn people out and yeah. there's very real implications to um, getting things wrong, particularly in the event tech space. Um, you know, you get your registration screwed up and the on-site experience becomes a hot mess. Like you just have to be really, really careful about what you're doing. So if you're going to go for it. Don't let yourself get thrown into the deep end of the pool. Make sure you get some training, you get some mentoring, you've got somebody to look out for you and to kind of watch over you. And if I can give a little plug to my own <laughs> work here, I have a Smart Event Academy that is precisely for this. I have a foundational event tech foundations course that is designed uh, to help event tech newbies kind of make those awkward first reps in terms of managing an event tech project so that they can go into a real event tech project and lead that thing with confidence. Okay, so thanks for sharing that. Does that... Does that mean like if I want to, you know, figure out or decide or learn more about how to be a good member of like an event tech team, like I could just come and take your course and I kind of be like set up to like get myself going? Yeah, absolutely. So what, it, yeah, so the way it works to keep this short-ish is it's a, I've created a mock event, it's called Coffee Palooza because I'm from Seattle and Brazil. So coffee has to be. And we took basically took a, um, a quote unquote standard event timeline, compressed it down to 24 weeks. And then I run, or run, compressed it down to six weeks, took a 24 week timeline, compressed it down to six weeks. And I run people through an entire project all the way through from, from event brief to event execution. We take real event tech like a really simplified version, like, hey, we're going to build out a simple registration flow. We're going to add some speakers to the system. And we walk through every step of the way. What does requirements lock me? What should a landing page have? What belongs in the CMS? What is a speaker portal? You know, here are the things to look for in registration, you know, as well as kind of the stuff I talked about, like with good discovery, how to effectively manage scope and kind of all of those, the softer skills that come along with being a project manager. So it's a, like, what are all these really weird terms we talk about? And how do I manage the teams that do all these really weird terms? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, that's fair and exciting simultaneously. Okay, awesome. That sounds great. Well, guess what, Jen? It's about that time. And even though I don't want to let you go, I might have to. But before I do, 
Can you please give me one industry event you think every corporate event planner or every event professional should attend every year? You have to be, oh, I don't like that question. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why I don't like the question. Okay. I will say it because I don't think there is any one industry event that everybody should attend every year. People are oh, too okay. diverse. Um, but I think, and I saw LinkedIn posts that kind of backed up my, my argument here. Um, oh, I think you. that every industry professional should find one non-industry event that they should go to as an attendee. Ooh. Like okay. just pick something they're interested in, go as an attendee, because we as event planners can't ever turn our event brains off. I'm willing to acknowledge that. If you want to kind of make a professional development, go as an attendee and go, okay, like, ooh, these are five ideas I'm going to steal. Ooh, and these are five ideas where I like the concept, but I think they could have executed it better in this scenario. And this is how I would have executed it better. So like, I love health and wellness. I would love to find like a good health and wellness event to go to like this year. Yeah. Um, something like that where I could just kind of sit back, not worried about running into colleagues, not worried about doing biz dev, not worried about any of that stuff, but literally yeah. just go yeah. with an attendee and see what that experience is like. I like that. I think that's a good direction to move into. And I think it's a good point for us to end our chat. Again, thank you so much, Jen. And um, I will see you around. Maybe even in Brazil. We don't know. There you go. Yeah, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> All righty. Thank you. Right. And that's a wrap for this episode of Aventus 365. We hope you enjoyed listening and learning something new today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to help event professionals discover us. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and sign up for our newsletter for behind the scenes content and updates on upcoming events. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at info at eventus365.com. We love hearing from our listeners. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Aventus 365.